This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, kingdom builder, healer. He is the King of glory. He is the resurrecting Savior. They expected a conqueror, but instead they got a servant, crucified and lifted high. And the marks on his hands have just marked for salvation. We live in a culture that obviously, if you've looked at TV or just paid attention at all, even mildly, you know that things are just crazy. Um, Chips pointed out over the last couple of days just um, how that uh, there's an abortion uh, bill that's being uh, actually a, a positive bill being pushed in Senate tomorrow where um, trying to outlaw what they're calling fourth term abortions. And you know what that is. It's really right at the end of the pregnancy. Hard to believe that's happening. And he encouraged us to contact our senators and to let them know how we feel about this and to support this bill. And so I encourage you to do that because it, it is uh, crazy when we look around and we really see what's going on. But I, I really, as I've thought through some of the things that are happening in our world, I think one thing that I keep reminding myself of is this, that really the abortionists, the child molesters, um, the porn pushers, all of these people those probably are not the biggest problem in the world, honestly. The biggest problem in the world is probably Christians who are unwilling to follow God, to seek God in prayer, and to truly desire His heart in this culture. I think that if we were the salt and light that God has called us to be, maybe you know things would be a little bit different in the world, and if, even if God chose not to make it that much different, that nevertheless there would be people coming to Christ and people receiving the good message, the good news that we have been entrusted with. The, the, the message of reconciliation, be reconciled to God. And so I want to encourage us to, to do take act, be active and to take steps and make a difference. But as we talk today about, I think, something super, super critical and foundational, and I think we're all going to have to do a heart check, honestly, with ourselves and see, do we really, really desire God's will in our lives and in this world, or do we really want what we want in life? We live in a, in a culture that is all about getting people, getting their five minutes of fame regardless of how, what it takes, no, no matter how humiliated they have to become. I mean, you look on TV at reality shows, honestly, what people do. I have a good friend of mine who I went to college with. He's actually been here before to help with Freedom Dive back when I was youth pastor, and his son is on a popular reality show on MTV. And it's really, really um, disgusting, some of the things that he's, he's doing and saying and totally just running away from what he was taught as a kid in order to achieve notoriety and publicity and, and to be famous. And, and, and when we look at life of Christ, when we look at Jesus, and as we go through the Gospel of Mark very systematically, we'll see that Jesus' approach life and culture and, and the wisdom that he provided was quite different. I'm getting a really bad ring in here. Um, a really d different approach to, to life than the way that we naturally look at life. And the things that are kind of our default for how that we think we should handle something, Jesus' default was so different than that. And we'll see that very, very clearly. And I think it's important as we're going through the Gospel of Mark to keep in mind, and if you're newer to church, you're, you're a newer believer, you need to remember this. This, this is critical. This is foundational that Jesus of Nazareth, not only was he 100% truly God, 
but he was also 100% truly human as well, fully human. In his divine nature, he was fully God. In his human nature, he was fully man. And why is that important? That's important as we look at Jesus and as we try to take on the life of Christ in our own life, become more like him, we need to understand that Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus became physically weak. And as he went through these things that we face, he did everything in respect to us, mind and body and will, except for the fact that Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. And so as we look at Jesus and how he responded to situations and how he responds to difficult people and as as he responds to really tough dilemmas and situations, we can know that we can learn to respond in a similar way that he did because his flesh was tested, his flesh was tried, he was pushed to the brink, but yet he never sinned in his reactions for his actions. And I want that, don't you? I want that in my life. And unfortunately, we're not going to fully arrive as long as we're on this earth in this flesh. And it can be very frustrating for sure. But as Jesus faced these persecution trials and headaches and physical suffering of life, he modeled something that we all can do the same, which was a constant dependency upon his Father in heaven. A constant dependency upon his Father in heaven. He found his source of power in being with his Father in prayer, seeking his Father, desiring to know his Father's will. And that's something that we all need to take and say, I'm going to run with that. And we're going to see, it's hard, it's frustrating, it's, it's tiring, it's difficult. It takes self-control. But it's, everyone in here is capable of praying like Jesus and being like Jesus in this area. So let's look at our text. We're in Mark chapter 1. We're in verse 35, and we're just going to go through verse 38 today. 35 through 38. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it so readily available to us, God, that we can just open it and we can read and we can study without any threat of persecution. And we have access, we're all in here, able to look at the Word and see and, and make sense of it, God. You've given us intellect. You provide us your words of wisdom and truth, God. And I pray that today that it won't just be another sleepy Sunday within the walls, God, but it'll be truly, truly a time where we take the next step, that we get more serious about our prayer life and get more serious about seeking your will above our own. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I think that is kind of the first heart check we need to do is to ask ourselves, do we really want God's will? Do we really want God's will in our life? Uh, when I was growing up in West Virginia, one of my neighbors who also happened to be a mailman, he was really into vintage cars. And so on Saturday, he would roll his cars. Uh, we, we, he lived up from us on a dead end, so he had to come by our house all the time. 
on Saturday with his cars, any day of the week with his cars. And so he would drive by his vintage cars. And, you know, if you know anything about vintage car, vintage car owners, I think those things only go like 10 miles an hour. Either they want to show them off or, you know, they're afraid they'll hit a bump or whatever. But he, he was very, you know, smooth as this thing. And one day my dad stopped him and walked out on the road and he was talking to him, and I rode my bike up there, and he got really nervous because, you know, here's an 11-year-old kid on my bike, and I'm, I'm pulling up there, and he's afraid I'm going to fall into it and dent it or something. And I look on the side of his car, and there's a sign that said, look, but don't touch, all right? This guy loved his cars, look, but don't touch. And his son was about the same age as me. His name was Chuck, Chuck Stoniger. And Chuck, one day we were in the yard, and we were talking, and, and Chuck said this, as a young boy, just, he had this philosophy in life, and here's, here's what it was. It was, I want to make as much money as I possibly can in this world because money can buy anything. And I remember my brain started figuring this out, and I was thinking, okay, anything. Can it, can it buy anything? Can money buy anything? And I even pushed him on that. I was like, can money buy anything? He's like, money can buy anything. Anything you want, money can buy it. And what's interesting is that even though the Stoniker family was not a religious family, there was a lot of worship going on in that household, all right? They were worshiping, it just wasn't God. Because this idea of worship is holding a person or thing in a position of glory and living our lives dedicated to it above all else. And you want to know what you worship? You look at what you sacrifice for. What you make sacrifices for is what you worship. And Chuck understood that he was going to have to sacrifice in life, but ultimately he could acquire money and that would make him happy. I had, I, Chuck and I went different directions. As shortly after that period of time, we were in different schools. And uh, I, I, yesterday or the day before, I actually uh, looked on Facebook to see what Chuck was doing these days. And he's a lawyer, right? Yeah, you kind of figured that, right, Eric? Um, and, and so he, he's making money, probably. He's making good money. He's doing well. But I have to ask this. Has he found happiness? Has he found fulfillment? Has he found satisfaction? Because ultimately... We can only worship one of two things in life. It's either we're worshiping ourselves or we're worshiping God. You know, you can say these other things that we can look to and point to, and maybe we think we're worshiping those. But ultimately, if you really follow that trail far enough, it leads back to a throne. And probably we're sitting on that throne most of the time saying, here's how I want to run my life. Here's how I want my life to work. Here's what I want to happen. And so we got to do a gut check today and ask ourselves, do we really want to worship God or do we, are, we, are we content with worshiping ourselves? Now, that line is blurry a lot for sure, right? It's hard to know sometimes whether this activity or this thing I'm doing is self-worship or is it God-worship. Um, because sometimes we can justify most things by saying, oh, I'm using this to worship God. And, and that's between you and the Holy Spirit on the different activities that may come to mind in your life. But I really want us to think about, are we truly, truly about God, even from a 30,000-foot kind of perspective? Is your life dedicated and devoted to God's will? Jesus, looking at the life of Christ, even if you go back to when Jesus was a young boy, Mine and Chuck's age in that illustration, about 12 years old, Jesus went with his family to Jerusalem to the temple for Passover, and his family heads back out with probably a group of people, and they're headed back to their hometown in Nazareth, and soon they realize that Jesus isn't with them. Here's a 12-year-old boy, and he's missing. So like any good parent, they freak out, they go back, they go to Jerusalem, huge city, tons of extra people in 
town for Passover. They're looking for Jesus. They find him three days later. Don't ask me why it took three days to go to the temple and look for him, right? Seems like the obvious place. And when Jesus encounters his parents, he's not disrespectful in what he says, but he tells them, he says, hey, I got to be about my, my father's business, all right? I, I got stuff to do. I'm about his business. I'm doing his will. I'm working for him. And so that's kind of the gut check that we have to ask ourselves before we can get into this idea of prayer, because as long as life is mostly about us, our happiness, our fulfillment, our contentment, our satisfaction, then our prayer lives are going to pretty much resemble what we are bent in life is. And so we have to ask, what is the center of my life? What is the most important thing in my life? What's the most vital thing in my life? And it's important to remember that we were born into a universe that by its very nature is a celebration of God. Les came up to me today and gave me a book, and it was on answers to evolution. And it was just a great reminder that, you know, depending on your perspective, you might just think that, you know what, you landed here by accident. And you're here today, and you're like, I, I don't have any purpose. Well, God tells you that you do have a purpose. And your purpose is not for your and my to be to find our fulfillment and happiness through our achievements and through our acquiring money and possessions, but it's through fulfilling God's will if we know him and exalting him and living for his pleasure and for his glory. So everything that we approach should give God glory in life. And if you forget him and his glory, what will you do? You and I will use things and we'll use people for no higher purpose than our own glory. We'll use people and we'll use stuff for our own glory. And so I, I, I came across this quote by one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp, and he says this. He says, this, meaning God being at the center, is not so much about being super spiritual. This is about recapturing the full meaning of your humanity. This is the way all human beings were made to live. To insert yourself into the center of your world is to violate the very nature of the world, and that isn't the fundamental way that all things were designed to operate. To violate basic creation order and design never goes anywhere good, no matter what dimension our lives we're talking about. And so think about your life for a second. Are you the center, or are you more and more striving for God to be the center and put him in his proper place, because this idea of prayer, I don't. I, 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 I caution you: don't say, "Well, I need to wait till God's really, truly in the center, and then I'll start praying." I think it, this is kind of a, a two rails going in the same direction. That as we pray, God changes and shapes our heart to desire His kingdom if we know Him and we truly have Christ in our life and the Holy Spirit's leading us. That that as we pray, God teaches us more and more about His na nature, His character, His glory. And so as we learn more about his will and his glory, then our prayers will change. And so what did Jesus do? How did Jesus align himself to the Father? He prayed. Verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus prayed because God provides the strength to do ministry. Plain and simple. God provides the strength for us to do ministry. Are you tired? Are you worn down? Do you feel like you can't go any further? pray. That's what Jesus did, and we're going to be, we want to be just like Jesus, and Jesus sought the Father very early in the morning. He got up early. He went to a desolate, a quiet place. He was intentional, found a place where he could be with his heavenly Father. 
if you remember last week in the book of Mark, what was talked about with our guest speaker, he looked at Jesus' events leading up to this early morning rising. And back in verse 32 and 30 through 34, what was going on? Jesus had had a full day of doing healing, doing ministry, and it said in verse 32, that evening at sundown, so he's still working, he's still doing ministry right up until dark. They brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he was healing many who were sick with various diseases, and he was casting out demons. I don't know about how this would affect you, but Jesus was tired. Jesus was more than likely exhausted from his full day of ministry. And Jesus, as I said, being fully human in his humanity, I'm sure he was tired. He grew tired. In fact, Mark 5.30, even though it's not actually stated in Scripture, I think it implies here in Mark chapter 5, verse 30, where Jesus did healing, and it said uh, he perceived even that the power had gone out from him, from someone who came up and touched his garment for healing. And so you can see that Jesus was exerting energy. He was exhausted. He had a very long and tough day. But what does he do? He understands that he has to prioritize being with his father. And so he gets up very early and he says, I can't, I can't pray here. I got disciples around me. I got people around me. There's going to be people showing up very early for more healing and more, more miracles. And so I've got to get away. And so he intentionally pulls away and gets to a place where he thinks that he'll be uninterrupted. And there he begins to pray and seek the Father's will. Wow. If Jesus Christ, the Word, who became flesh, who was there in the beginning with God, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. If Jesus pulled away for prayer to seek the Father, to know the Father's will, don't you think that we should be doing that? Uh, no, all right, let me say that again. Don't you think we should be doing that? All right, don't you think we should be doing that? Because we sit in church and we hear things and we say, even in our mind, yes, that's so true, but look at our lives. What are we sacrificing for? Are we sacrificing for kingdom, for God's will, or are we sacrificing for ourselves? And so this is, is tough because it preaches hard at us where we live. And it preaches hard at me where I live. I have to be intentional. I don't like when the alarm goes off early and I have to roll out of bed. I'd much rather sleep. The flesh, it cries out and says, more sleep. All right, I, I want to rest. I, I'm tired. But we follow God. We, we do what God desires for us. We follow what Jesus modeled for us. And we follow him, even though it is tough and it's hard. It's difficult and it takes effort, a lot of effort. I read a, a story about a monk who had a bet with a fellow monk whether he could recite the Lord's Prayer without folk, uh, losing focus or being distracted at all. And the second monk, he felt so confident this guy couldn't do it that he offered a horse to the first if he could recite the Lord's Prayer even one time without his thoughts straying. Well, the first monk, he said, I'll take the bet, and he began to recite. Within two sentences, he stopped and he said, You win. He said, even as I was praying, I began to wonder if the horse came with a saddle. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, that's, where, that's my zip code, right? My, my mind goes everywhere in prayer time. Uh, even when I'm alone and it's still and it's quiet in my living room, and I got my coffee cup sitting there and I'm praying, and there's nobody up in the house stirring around uh, in, the, in the room I'm in, 
that, that I'm, I, my mind still just goes everywhere. It goes all over the place. And, and so we can relate to these monks, and we can relate to what John Piper sent out on his Instagram. Go ahead and put that up a couple days ago. It, it felt good to hear a guy like John Piper's caliber say this because I can totally relate. He says, if prayer doesn't come easy for you, consider yourself normally fallen and simple with the rest of us, and then fight, and then fight. So you see, I don't care how long you've been walking with God, how spiritual you are, no matter where you are in life, it's still hard to pray. It takes serious effort and concentration and focus to pray. And obviously, it has to be extremely valuable because we're going to see in a minute that Jesus sacrificed real ministry to pray. He made sure that prayer was his first priority. He rose very early to pray. I think about the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was the night Jesus was arrested, and he told them to come and pray with him. And when he took Peter, James, and John a little closer in, he said, guys, I need you to stay awake and pray. The hour is coming. I need you to pray fervently and earnestly. And he says, in, in Matthew chapter 26, he says, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And by stating this idea of the spirit is willing, Jesus was saying that he knew the disciples wanted to stay awake and they wanted to pray, but the weakness of the flesh had overpowered the spiritual desire to pray and to watch. And so Jesus, he wasn't scolding them, but urging them to be aware of the weaknesses of the flesh. And that's what I, I want us to acknowledge this morning and be aware this morning that, that it, it does take effort. It takes intentionality. It takes like something as practical as setting your alarm the night before, maybe getting to bed a little bit earlier the night before so you, you can get up in the morning and pray. So again, back to my point is, it's a gut check, it's a heart check, is do we really desire God's will? Because I think our actions show whether we really do or not. And so are we seeking after God and his will and his guidance? And so the disciples were just, just like us. Their bodies, their flesh shouted loudly, oh, I need sleep, let me sleep. And it causes to, us to easily drown out the desires of the Spirit. Things like hunger and exhaustion, being too cold or too hot, thirst, pain, a wandering mind. All these things are part of being human. This is part of us being who we are. But it's not an excuse because Jesus says, watch. Watch and pray. doesn't mean it's going to be 100% all the time, get it right. But he says, watch and pray. And what does he mean by watch? He means stay alert. Stay alert. Take every resource God has given you and put it into action and fight, as Piper said, is fight this, this, this wondering mind tendency that we have. Fight against using meaningless phrases in our prayers that mean nothing, that saying things and, and just seeking our own selfish desires when we pray versus kingdom-centered prayers. So we want to be just like Jesus. We want to remove our distractions. We want to find a quiet place. And we want to seek after God. Now, look, I did this for a long time, and some of you do it as well. I said, you know, I don't know if I really need like a, a set time to like really pray because I can just pray throughout the day, all day long, you know, just as things happen and, and situations occur. And that's really good to do that, right? But let me ask you a question. If that's kind of your excuse not to 
carve out some time for prayer, then let me ask you, are you more spiritual than Jesus? Are you better equipped at this life than Jesus is that you can just kind of pray through the day, whereas Jesus said, i got to get away, I need some time, some space, clear it out where I can be with my Father and seek his will. And so while it's awesome that you pray throughout the day, I realize, and I think just God gave me a swift kick a couple years ago and said, look, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. Get with God, be intentional in prayer. Seek him. And look, it doesn't make sense. Simon and the disciples, they didn't get it. Look at verse 36 and 37. And Simon and those who were with him, they woke up. What were they doing? Like, where's Jesus at? There's a lot to be done here. And so they go out looking for him. They eventually, they find him, and they say to him, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Peter obviously didn't approve of Jesus' strategy. The let me pull away from ministry and all the stuff to do strategy so I can just be still and be with, 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 with my father. I mean, Peter was probably thinking, man, the night before, we were killing it. Jesus, we were killing it. And these same people, they're waiting, they're standing, they're getting in line for more. What, what are we doing? Man, we can add like thousands of Instagram followers today, right? I mean, this is going to be a day of notoriety. We're going to build the kingdom. Let's capitalize on all the great stuff that was happening. But Jesus, no. Jesus wasn't about what we are normally about. Jesus was about prioritizing. Because Jesus prayed to teach us obedient submission to the will of the Father. Jesus prayed to teach us obedient submission to the will of the Father. And what was that will? Look at verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town that I can preach there also, for that's why I came out. So he's leaving the area, right? All right, all this good stuff is happening. And the disciples, they got to be super confused at this point. Like, why in the world, when we're peaking here, why are we moving on to a different location? Why are we going somewhere else to, to minister? And here's what's going on here. Jesus was not about the healing. Jesus was about the preaching. Jesus was not as interested in the physical healing as he was in the spiritual healing. Now, Jesus, we're going to see throughout this book, I mean, Jesus performs a lot of miracles. He does a lot of healings. And he's authenticating himself. He's authenticating his message. We're going we're to see that. But he refused to let the disciples or the people own him as their healer. Jesus did not heal. Uh, Jesus does heal. As we sang in the, in the song, Jesus, Jesus, healer. I, I, you know, I was trying to think of uh, just an illustration within our church body where we can just remember, or if you've been around church for a little while, remember a time where God really did something amazing and supernatural in someone's life because God is a healer. And I think I thought about uh, a few years ago when um, Tori Gravely's mom asked for the elders to come out and, and in the lines of James chapter 5 where we anoint with oil and pray for healing. And we went to her house and the elders, we anointed with, with oil, we prayed over her. And at this point, she literally had been given only a few weeks to live. Well, you may remember the video that Tori made after that God supernaturally, amazingly healed her mom. Amazing. The doctors were scratching their head. They couldn't understand 
how in the world, where did the cancer go? What happened to it? it it's gone. It's disappeared. But here's the thing. All physical healing is temporary at best. It's temporal at best. Everyone's going to die sometime. One year later, her cancer came back. She passed away. Healing physically is temporary. It's, it's temporary. I'm sorry, I don't care how many times God heals you, you're going to eventually die. And there's such a more important thing here than physical healing. It's spiritual healing. Jesus emphasized first and foremost always the healing of the Spirit and salvation over any kind of physical healing. And you know what? He, he, he also emphasized another kind of healing over physical healing, and that was a healing of things like bitterness and hatred and lust and anger and gossip and things like that. Those were things that Jesus wanted to heal before he healed anyone physically as well because he understood the heart is what must change. The heart is what has to change. And ultimately, the healing of the human spirit is eternal, whereas this body is temporal. So Jesus said, in effect, these people, they're so caught up now in my power, they're not interested in hearing my words. So let's just go on to another city in Galilee where I can resume my real ministry, which is preaching, because that's why, why I came. That's why I came. So when God's will comes first, our prayers change. They become less self-oriented, more Jesus-directed, and ultimately more satisfying to our heart. And so let me ask you, look at your prayers. Look at your prayers. Are they mostly me-centered when you do pray? Or are they God-centered? I had a really pretty neat encounter a few days ago. I was in, down at Tallahassee Hospital visiting Georgina. And she and I and Georgina's sister, we were in the room talking. And one of the many nurses who were coming in and out of the room came in. And, uh, and she was, began to talk. And she said, I think Georgina introduced me as her pastor and, and the lady said, you know, really pray for me because tomorrow I'm going to get uh, my back checked out. And I'm pretty sure, I'm, you know, they're going to think I'm going to need back surgery and I just don't want back surgery. And I just know if I just, you know, if we can get everybody praying, I just believe enough that God will, will, will heal me. He'll, he'll take care of this. And in the course of the conversation, which it wasn't the time or place for me to correct her theology, but it just happened to come around to, to where we talked, to, we began a good discussion and she said, she said, a few years ago, we prayed for seven years for my son's healing, and it never happened. And she didn't volunteer what happened and the situation. She just said, in faith, for seven years, she prayed earnestly and, and, and with faith and, and, and trusting that faith that can move mountains, and the healing never came. And she said, you know, I, I, did God, and she didn't put it in these words, but this is basically what she was saying. Did God not hear my prayer? Did so, was there something wrong with me that we weren't praying earnest enough or hard enough or, you know, uh, uh, often enough, whatever it was? And it was just a really good chance. And, and she asked me, said, how do you pray? And I said, I, pr I try to pray what Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. God, if there's any way this can pass from me. If I don't have to deal with this, please let it be so. But what did Jesus say next? But not 
my will, but yours be done. And so I told her, I said, you pray as earnestly and diligently and faithfully as you can for healing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you submit and say, but not my will, but your will be done, Father. Because I don't get it. I don't understand how this world operates. And I don't understand, God, your providence in your hand and how you're working in all these situations. I don't understand why Casey has to be born with a disease and that she dies at 21 years old. I don't get that. You don't get that. We don't know what, what God's doing and how he works these things. But here's what we do know is that we can trust God. That we can trust his faithfulness. And the message that we bring to people, which is spiritual healing and spiritual salvation for all eternity, is much more important than any kind of physical healing one can receive, which one day will be void and, and meaningless. So I want to ask you this question. I came across this quote by a lady named Corey Tenboom. You may have heard her name. And she said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And I'm, I'm going to turn my back to the camera. I'm not supposed to do that. But I'm going to, I brought a spare tire and I brought a steering wheel in because I want this to stick in your mind today. Because I want this to be a, a, a visual remembrance when you pray the next time. What's going on with your prayer life? Is it saying, are you mostly about this? When, when things are going bad, when, when life's falling apart, when it's not working out like you should, that's when you pray? That's when you need, man, I need help, God. Come on. Uh, you know, I need to get there. I need this to happen. Come on. I need, a, I need you to fix this. Or are your prayers like the steering wheel that says, God, I desire for you to be in control. I want this fixed. I sure don't want to be set here beside the side of the road. But I want you in control of my life. I want you and your will more than my own will. You see, this is very practical because most of the time, here is our prayer. God, fix this, do this, make that situation better, give me this, make that happen, get this boss to leave me alone. And our prayers, yours and mine included, most of the time are God, take care of this situation. And very few times is our prayer actually, God, this life makes no sense to me whatsoever, but you got the will, not me. I trust you. I trust you in your supernatural providence. You're God, I'm not. This world, it was created by you and for your glory, not my glory. And so therefore, I'm trusting you in all of this. If it's good enough for Jesus... It's definitely good enough for us. So, two practical, simple next steps. Allow your centers to be more God-centered. Father, allow me to put more trust in your will than my wants. That's an easy, practical step. It takes discipline, it takes fight, but it's not something you walk out and say, oh, I'm not sure I've arrived theologically to the point where I can incorporate that. No, you can. You can make your prayers more about God. Start with the Lord's Prayer as a, as a great example. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, now we get to my needs. Give me today my daily bread. Not everything I want in life, but just give me what I need. And forgive me of my 
trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That can be your model. You don't need a lot. It's a matter of just doing it. Secondly, find space to pray without interruption. Find space to pray without interruption. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm one of the, what I would consider very early in the morning type people. I like to be up early. I like to be quiet and still and it's dark in the house. I love that. The coffee pot is going. The aroma is in the air. That's my sweet spot. That's my time. But yours may not be that. Maybe you got kids and they're raising up at the crack of dawn. They're running around the house. Maybe for you it's something different. Maybe for um, some of you it's maybe in your car at lunchtime you drive down to the river and you just get a few minutes to just sit still and just pray in your car. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I promise you that we all find time to do the things that we want to do. We do. We do. And so let Jesus be in control. Submit your prayers to him. Allow him to be the strength for your ministry to do his will, not your own. Be intentional with your time. Take a step. Take one of these two steps. Which one is it going to be? Is it going to be intentional time starting maybe today or at least tomorrow for sure? And are you going to remix your prayers? Is it going to be less about yourself and more about God? I don't know. I've never prayed this way before, but I really want today as I go to work, I want to bring glory to you in that situation. As I go to the store, I want it not to just be from getting to the shortest checkout line, but I want it to be for your glory and your honor. That's tough stuff. I haven't mastered that. None of us will, but I promise you, we begin to pray those prayers. We're definitely going to be more aware of God and what he's doing around us. Let's pray. Father God, your word just doesn't allow us to stay where we're at, but it moves us to be more like you. And we thank you that you love us just exactly where we're at, that you're fully accepting of us because of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have through him. And God, for someone sitting here that would be honest with themselves, that they, desire, they don't desire your will zero, not at all, because they know that they don't know you. They don't have a real relationship with you, God. May they see the cross. May they see Jesus. May they understand the simple gospel message, which is you came to the world to save sinners. And God, allow them this morning to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead, and they will be saved, your word says. And God, I pray that you will allow us to truly, right now, in our minds, decide what our next step will be in response to this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.